Welcome to KCast. This is Caleb and Chris. Got some terrible news. Just something, just terrible, just horrible. Get some terrible news. Horrendous, just awful, just an awful, miserable thing happened. Sounds bad. just just terrible, just just the worst, just the worst thing that could happen. You mean like that shooting just, in Santa Barbara? Well, it's it's pretty bad, you know. I don't want to make any comparisons, but it's it's pretty horrendous. I turned twenty six. Oh Chris. God! I had a birthday. <laughs> yes, I don't know about you. I don't know if you get sort of self reflective <coughs> no. around your birthday, a chance to look at thyself. But <laughs> it's just I've accomplished nothing in this life, Chris. Twenty six years, and nothing to show for it. What's going on? You got a college degree, didn't you? Man, yeah. That was easy. <laughs> Big whoop de doo that is. Everyone from my... All the millennials are getting that these days. Just <laughs> It was a degree in English. Oh, man. So, so it was kind of... And kinda all those peers that did get the degree went on and are being successful in life and are accomplishing <laughs> these amazing things and making a lot of money in their career and, and are happy, you know, well-functioning people, contributing members of society. I think the guy, you're talking about the guys that didn't get the degree and don't have the the, the bills from the loans. All the loans. <laughs> and here I am with whiskey in one hand and just... The second in the other. Yeah, and this this it's like a miserable, dark cloud of awfulness just following me around and this... <laughs> this awfulness. Uh, You're 26. 26. Another damn year has has come. The only thing I have accomplished in 26 years is that I have dodged death, essentially. <laughs> Somehow I'm still here. I've tried to eat myself to death, and if, I don't know, I guess I've survived that unsuccessfully. Yeah. So I have successfully dodged the Grim Reaper... You don't. You don't sound for one happy. year. You don't sound happy about your birthday. No, <laughs> I don't want to be reminded. Never has so. Sorry, never. <laughs> I was gonna say never have so many done so little. Yeah. But that that would be plural. Never has someone you've accomplished done so little. You've accomplished <laughs> less all by yourself than all those people that did so little put together, working as a team. Were. Oh man. Failed to accomplish, I guess. Birthdays, the birthday blues. I, I heard that once on an Entourage episode, and I get the birthday blues, you know. So, I need to accomplish some shit. Why do we even celebrate birthday? If you think about it, okay, I survived a year. That's not a big accomplishment. Yeah. Why don't we have, like, accomplishment days? Yeah. You know, where we celebrate the accomplishment. I mean, I have done a few things in life. Yeah. I was on house, you know. Yeah. <laughs> but instead, people show up just because I lived a year. Yeah. You know? That's depressing. You know? Yeah. I don't... I don't. I, I never do anything big for birthdays, you know? Yeah. Mainly because I don't have the pull when it comes to inviting people. Yeah. People just won't show up. 
I have to really entice them with like a, a big extravagant yeah. party or something. Or cash. Some, something to sweeten the deal. You know. <laughs> so, birthdays. Right. Who needs them? Yeah. You know, that's yeah. what I say. Well, I'd say it's a little premature to celebrate a death day for you. Birthdays. <laughs> ha. You would cry too, Chris. If you ever had a birthday, I you'd never be crying them. too. I never have them. <laughs> Leslie Gore knows how I'm feeling. In 1965, she had this sentiment. Yeah. Uh, she was. A, I, I, I'm not really too familiar with this song, but I believe she this was, was a one hit wonder. The second she didn't have a. That's the real or reason she was crying. Because this was her only hit. Yeah. Didn't have a boyfriend for her sweet 16 or something? Yeah, it was It was the guy she likes shows up with some woman, mm. and and they say it like right in the first verse. Nobody knows where my Johnny has come. Oh, she lost her Johnny. She likes Johnny. And she invites Johnny and some other people, and then some hoe shows up with Johnny. With Johnny, yeah. and is holding, you know, I don't know why she invited them. She should have thought about that. If unless the hoe came there uninvited, uh, then I blame the hoe. Yeah. But you know, it is grievous. Don't invite hoes. Yes. Yeah. You know. Well, at least you didn't lose your Johnny. Anyways, I. I I did uh, do a couple of fun things for the B-Day. You know, yeah. it, wasn't, it wasn't a total loss. No. No. Um, on Sunday, uh, Devin and I, who was a, a K-Cast regular, Devin, uh, we went to the visit the podfather himself, Kevin Smith. We yeah. went to a, a live podcast of uh, called Fat Men on Batman. It's one of Kevin Smith's many podcasts that he does. Him and Ralph Garman from K-Rock mm. uh, did this new comic, um, something you remember from your childhood is the Batman 66, Adam West Batman. Yeah. So there was a famous episode where Batman meets the Green Hornets. Yeah. Right, this crossover episode. What did, what is Adam West always called the theater of the absurd or something like that? Oh, I don't know what any of those <laughs> words mean. <laughs> that should, that could be a slogan for this, the theater of the absurd. <coughs> So they did basically a sequel to that story yeah. of Batman meets Green Hornet. So yeah. they we got a signed copy of the comic, and it was pretty fun. So that was cool. And then Monday, which was the actual birthday, yeah. um, a couple of us, you included, went down to Bubba Gump Shrimp was in I Santa Monica. In you were there. I remember you, you were there. And you saw um, a display of dancing. Dancing might be too generous a phrase. I <laughs> I don't know, more like I was having a seizure. <laughs> Something happened, I was flailing arms around. I don't remember that. You don't remember? I don't remember any dancing. <laughs> yeah. I don't know, but at one point, you know, well, when they checked my ID, <coughs> you I pointed out that it was card. my birthday. <laughs> Why did you hand him a library card? And they saw, fired. I'm just rolling over your comment, they, they saw that it was my birthday, because I pointed it out to them, Yeah. you know. And uh, so they bring me up in front of everyone. They give me a a hot fudge sundae. Yeah. 
and they play this song where they're all clapping around and they're encouraging me to dance and eventually I, I dance yeah or do you know a version of of dancing yeah these weren't people that you knew that were encouraging you to do or people that didn't know you were encouraging you to dance right otherwise they would have was, not been encouraging no, no, nobody you knew was encouraging you to <laughs> no. dance no not at all we just couldn't shut everybody else down but i'm what you call an attention whore yeah. so any chance to be in front of an audience yeah and at that point, I was two heavy drinks in, so inhibitions way down, and uh, Those, no, no judgment. I don't remember any heavy drinks. Heavy. Well, if a mixed drink can be heavy, I had a Lieutenant Dan, which was basically rum and pomegranate, and it was very sweet and very good, and then I had a Long Island iced tea, and then I proceeded to dance. Hmm. Got my dance on. Hmm. But very good food. Did you like the food? Yeah, it was good. Yeah, I had delicious bisque. food. I always enjoyed I thought bisque. the trivia would be tougher. I was hoping. <laughs> I had prepared by watching the movie, and then it was just easy-ass trivia, even though I got two questions wrong. Yeah. So, who am I saying? Like, yeah. You're saying the trivia's easy. You got two questions wrong. Okay, yeah. Fine. It was hard. Jeez. Well, um, it wasn't a back long... Off. There, was a, there was only ten questions. Yeah, it was ten. So 80%, that's passing. <coughs> I'm happy with an 80%. <laughs> but you're complaining it wasn't hard enough. That, that's a Caleb A, an 80%. <laughs> you're complaining it wasn't hard enough. <laughs> My best grades in school were 80%. So, yeah, that was fun. Yeah. You know, I'd never been there. I bought a shirt. Committed, you committed a misdemeanor? You committed a misdemeanor by stealing a ski ball at the arcade. I did not. I deny. I deny you that, that allegation allegedly. is unfounded. That's true. Technically, I didn't see where you got the ski ball from. You could have purchased it with those tickets from the counter. So that was fun. I, I, re I removed no property from that area that was not mine. <sighs> I can't believe I'm 26, you know? Maybe you're not. <laughs> Hospitals get things wrong all the time. I don't know. Your, your mom is highly suspect. I didn't see myself here. <laughs> yeah. This isn't where I want it to be at this point in life. Yeah. You know? But I graduated right when the economy was tanking. <laughs> in the year 2010 the recession that's the word the i was recession. searching before yeah i graduated during a just recession in, just in time for the recession just in time <laughs> mid-recession yeah this was like like right after clash for clunkers yeah and i'm like i need my clunker i can't right. even i afford to sell my clunker sure. for cash just sure just to... i'm so poor i can't even take this handout right it would hurt me right <laughs> That's true. How <laughs> bad it was. It couldn't have been timed worse. I know. And then I went on there to... There was ever, ever a time to drop out of college or even high school. You, It was it was when you were there. <clears throat> you know, I was thinking about this the other day because we, we talked about rebellion, right? Yeah. The, the next generation always rebels some yeah. way, somehow against the previous generation. Right. So I was thinking, what was my rebellion? Well, from my sort of responsible 80s parents... You know, if you mm -hmm. will. Um, my rebellion was 
trying to live the dream. My 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 rebellion was avoiding any real responsibility yeah. in the job market for as long as I possibly could. Yeah. Avoiding a full-time regular job that paid the bills, retail, yeah. skating by on the bare minimum. I did the background acting for 4 years and I enjoyed every minute of it. Yeah. Right? It was a blast. Yeah. And then, you know, eventually reality came crushing down on me, you know, like a ton of bricks. And I had to get a real job. Yeah. You know. I mean, I did had, I had sporadically worked full time. Yeah. But can you imagine, like, I graduated, I had just turned 22 when I graduated. Mm. It was like, I was eight days into being 22. Yeah. If I had been working full time since I was 22. Yeah. Can you imagine for four years, the, and, the, the better place I would be in? And, and you hadn't <laughs> run up a bunch of bills from college? <laughs> no, that's fine. I've been deferring those. Oh, okay. The, the, oh, really? Yes. I was under the impression you'd been paying no. and that's what was setting you back. I made one <laughs> payment. That's it. And then I'm like, screw those. this. I'm deferring. <laughs> maybe, maybe you can, <laughs> maybe, maybe you can somehow, maybe you can somehow get out from those on the grounds that you weren't properly educated. Yeah. Maybe. You know, you can get them to, maybe I'll just die with them. You can take those guys, sue them and not have to pay those bills at all. What happens if you have a bunch of loans and you, you, you grow old, your parents have died, yeah. you have no wife and kids. Yeah. And then you die. <laughs> and there's Loans no one for them to give them to. Where they're going to find next of kin. To, if to... there's no next of kin to pay the bills. <laughs> yeah. I, or, I... or one day they call up your, you know, your long lost sibling and they're like, you owe us now with interest, you owe us a hundred grand. I, I, <laughs> I like, what? don't know. I would imagine that they probably can take out uh, some kind of a life insurance you know the companies that have have the bills on you that they take out some kind of life insurance form, or they're in, insured for that, or they insure themselves against that. I don't know. I don't know. Yes, I know that Walmart has been accused of taking out uh, insurance on employees who didn't know that Walmart, where Walmart was a beneficiary, where Walmart, <laughs> where the employees weren't informed that Walmart, uh, that Walmart had had. Taking out these policies on him, uh, who was the who was the character? Who's the Michael Moore, or whatever, in this documentary? Oh yes, is, is claimed that that this is a problem and these these employees are working in dangerous conditions. Or I don't see what that has to do with student loans, but I don't know. I'm okay. just suggesting that the people that are the least of your worries is that the people that you owe money to <laughs> won't be able to collect upon your death. Yes. These major financial... Enough with these death taxes. Come on. I'm, I'm Cut sure the guy a break. He died. <laughs> Crying out loud. He shouldn't have to pay taxes anymore. I'm, I think you can rest assured that your death will not... <sighs> oh, will not occasion another recession or some death kind of tax. economic... Yeah. Man. Mm. So... Okay, so my form of rebellion was basically avoiding, you know... Really it wasn't like a... <laughs> <laughs> a sex, drugs, and rock and roll rebellion. More of a slacker kind of a deal. Yeah, it was a slacker rebellion. That's why I relate to Wayne Campbell so much. That's why as a kid I loved Wayne's World. It was one of my favorites. Yeah. You know. And essentially he had his little like variety show that he did. Yeah. And a podcast is like an audio version of a variety show. So, oh. there you go. So, yeah. Um... Geez, speaking of favorites, one one of these days I'm going to do a whole episode of dedicated to Everybody Loves Raymond, which is just one of my all time <laughs> favorite shows. But I happened to be watching. I got I got home from work yesterday. How could that be your favorite show? What oh, is about that man, 
I watched it growing up. Is there anybody in that show that you identify with? Ray. Completely Ray. I am Ray. I just don't have an interest in sports, but he's a writer, so I would just write about something else. Yeah. That's the only thing I would change out. If he the, writes about sports, I would write about entertainment. Yeah. You have the brother. Yeah, who's an older brother. Yeah. You know. So you identify with the problem. A wacky family. With his, with, his mo- with his mother and father. Yeah, he has an overbearing mother. Yeah. You know, that's relatable. Hmm. But I, it was so, I, I was watching this yesterday, and it happened to be on, and oh god, it's, it's one of my favorite episodes of the show yeah. that happened to be on. It's when, so, the daughter, Allie, is trying to find, is, she's writing a report about family members. Hmm. So Frank's like, oh, I have uh, this aunt in, in Italy still. So, uh, Aunt Serena. So they write this letter to Aunt Serena. Right. And three weeks later, Aunt Serena shows up at the, the door. Char- the characters in the show are writing. Yeah, yeah. Allie, the, the daughter. Right. Right. I mean, Deborah, the mom, helps her. Right. And they write a letter to Aunt Serena. Right, right. And Deborah's like really for it. Like, oh, you guys have more family out there that I never knew about or met. Oh, we right. should contact them. And, well, Ray does a little research at the office. And he's yeah. like, oh, I, fi- I used the database. I figured out where she lives. There's only a town post office. Right. Which was our first clue of foreshadowing. But these are, the these are family are members that they're familiar with? Well, only Frank knows. Because it's, it's, it's Frank's uh, aunts. From the old country. This, Yeah. Okay. The, I mean, the age should be so much that she's, like, dead. But I guess, I guess Frank's uh, father had, like, a really young, younger sister. Because he has some picture of like, oh, this is my father and his baby sister, and there's a big age difference. This is the most distant of family in a remote, yeah, remote uh, area. Of yeah, the and, world. and Ray says like she has no no address, no phone, no email, um, okay. just a village post office. <laughs> <laughs> you know, in 1920. In 1920. <laughs> well, I think it's the late 90s. Yes. Yeah, but, but I'm just saying that when was the last time that you could only contact somebody oh. by <laughs> Right. So then she shows up at the house three weeks later. Right. And Serena. And the family is so just happy to have her. She's so, like, upbeat and happy. And she's, like, a big cheerleader. And, yeah. and at first, Ray is kind of reluctant. Like, how long is she going to be staying here? Sort of a thing in his usual Ray manner. But then... He's working in his office, right. and she goes downstairs to sleep, and she's impressed by all the awards that he has, right? Which, which no one gives a crap about in his family. family. He gets no support from his family, and she doesn't know like any of these publications or whatever. But she's just the she's most supportive, by. nice person. Like, oh, this she's enthusiastic. She, she knows Joe DiMaggio is like the one name <laughs> she recognizes. She's like, oh, Italian <laughs> Joe DiMaggio. And he's like, yeah, I met him. You know, I did a little interview with him. I don't like know him, right. but I, you know. She's right, like, right. oh, you're, you're friends with Joe DiMaggio. That's great. Right, right. <laughs> you know. Not that Ray doesn't get attention. He just doesn't get support. Yeah. And uh, <laughs> so they, they have a bunch of dinners, a bunch yeah. of family dinners, and they're cooking these great Italian dishes right. and the food. And and they little by little, they start speaking Italian to her. Right. And then... By like the third dinner, they're all speaking only Italian, and Deborah's kind of the odd man out, doesn't know Italian, and they're chanting this song and trying to get Deborah to sing the song. <laughs> and at this point, she is now like the one who who isn't liking it as much, right. even though she was totally on board. She was and, the one that started it, it, initiated this thing to get closer to the family. Yeah, she, 
She does not a complete 180, but she's kind of like rolling her eyes. Right. And Ray is now like speaking in Italian and into it and singing. They're all embracing the supportive, warm family culture that hasn't existed <laughs> in in America since the 40s, possibly. Yes, and especially in the Barone family. Right. You know. <laughs> Ever since the introduction of fast food, the drive-in and drive-through in the 50s. Marriage yeah. has deteriorated, but this. But now we're back in the forties, whatever. And the warm family dinners, large family dinners, everybody cheering and supporting each other. <laughs> so, so it's like a week later. Yeah. Right. This is the best scene. I don't know if you remember this. It's like a week later, and and each person, like, they're, they're, everyone's so nice to each other. Huh. So like. Marie comes over to Deborah. Right. She's the first one to come over, and she's like, "Oh, you got to taste this. Yeah. Oh, that's great. You know, this is yeah. so great." And she, uh, oh, she compliments Deborah on the sh- her shirt that she's wearing and her wow. clothing, which Marie never does. This is, yeah, you this know, is something, this behavior that's n- unheard of in this. Yeah, place. like, oh, that's so nice. Right. Oh, taste this. Oh, this is delicious. Right. And then Frank comes in. They're like, "Hey, Frank! Hey, come on in! <laughs> <laughs> like, Glad How's to it see going?" You. <laughs> Frank brought something over or something, right. then Robert runs in, Hey, Robert! Eh? <laughs> Hugging him and kissing him and gathering around. and He's talking about how he looks like a count in the family or some family history. Then Ray finally comes in, Hey, Ray, what's up? <laughs> they're all gathering around him. Him and Robert have like a, a brotherly bond there. Like right. They're kind of like fake slugging each other. Hey, what's up? Eh? <laughs> and... Anyone who watches the show knows this is so uncharacteristic. This is exactly the opposite this is of the Every time they come in, there's competition for who can slam each other first, dreading the dreading the occurrence of anybody else. Uh, complete one eighty. Then finally, Aunt Serena and the and the granddaughter right. come in, and you know, and then, but as it turns out. She's not really related. She's not related. This She's not related. Brought all this warmth and happiness <laughs> and sincerity. And it was joy. too good to be true. Because yeah. at first, when Ray, uh, when Deborah's like, "Oh, you should, you know, look this woman up," yeah. he's like, "Why would I want to find more of these people?" <laughs> you know? Right. Frank does like a belch or something. It's like, why would I want to hunt down more? More, right. And after they find out, Ray's like, "Oh, my favorite relative," and she's not even a relative, you know. Right. right. <laughs> Uh, they're like, oh, uh, she was so great a person. That should have been our first tip that she wasn't related to us. <laughs> She's so warming and sweet. Yeah, and then there there turns out to be another Barone family that uh, they they contact her real right. like niece and right. and she comes over and and gets the aunt and stuff. Mm. So I don't know if you remember that episode. Bits, yeah, bits, yeah. yeah. Oh, so funny. The writing on that show is just genius. Yeah. Well, Chris, if there's one thing that's a consistent in this life, and a life full of inconsistencies, we need consistency, Chris. No, we don't. And that's, I love being right. That's the consistency. <laughs> you so, love being right. I love being right. Nothing makes me happier. It's so foreign to you, Even though. about, especially about insignificant shit that no one cares about. <laughs> right. It's a chance to be right. Especially that, because no one's... Well, that's the stuff that we tend to argue the most about. Exactly. <laughs> For some reason, it's the insignificant stuff that always comes to the forefront. We, uh, does it seem to you like people, <laughs> if something's really, really important, uh, we ignore it, we work around it, we just let it kind of fester <laughs> if there's an issue we have? If it's a big issue, it's like, well, I'm probably not going to change this person's 
opinion, you know? Like, if it's a big enough thing, it's <clears throat> like, that's just... Oh, we're just gonna, we're just gonna create arguments going back and forth about it. Yeah, like, We just know. agree to disagree kind of a thing. Yeah, so, exactly. So what we really argue about is the petty and significant crap. If, it's, if someone's an atheist, <laughs> it's like, this is just too difficult for it's, argument. It's, I don't know. If it's something it's a big very, like that, you know? It's, it's a very... If someone's hardcore right or left, politically or whatever... It's like it's it's it's, it's there's a no very, point in even going there. <laughs> uh, I I don't want to say rare, but it's a a very subtle, um, uh, hardly practiced art to be able to discuss something that is very close to your heart, that's mm-hmm. very important to you, with somebody who disagrees, and, yes, and and not get so emotionally and tr- you know involved in the argument where you're where you're it doesn't become. Uh, a bitter argument. Yeah, because you're just going to drive yourself crazy. You, you, you know? Yeah. When you really feel, feel sincere about somebody, it uh, it's a real trick to be able to discuss it openly and be open to, to what they're saying and understand what they're saying. You know, when you when you feel too sincere about, really sincere about something, when you feel really convinced about something, it, it's connected to you emotionally and you and, and intuitive in a sense. Mm-hmm. And 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 it's hard to discuss it uh, calmly and peacefully in a way that you know, in a way that you can persuade somebody or or share share your understanding with somebody. It's it's, uh, but you don't see these kind of arguments going on. You know, you don't see these kind of dis or you you don't see these kind of discussions where they're productive. People tend to yes. get entrenched. You know. Well. Speaking of insignificant shit, Chris. We can talk about that. That's easy enough. And <laughs> that's where I think we, a lot of times, more than anything, it's the insignificant shit we feel free to th- to argue yeah. and argue about. Because we, we don't really have a big stake in it. Yeah. You know, you, you, we, win or lose. We, you, ostensibly, we don't. You we know, both know it's insignificant. We, we, we feel free to just batter somebody with it. And, <laughs> and attach, but we attach these other emotional issues on, on the stuff that we don't want to talk about to it. At least that's the way it is with people I know. And me, and my, me and my brother will go round and round on the stupidest things that have no impact <laughs> on our lives. And no understanding of and, and place these, you know, these sort of huge emotional arguments and and investments in these arguments and, and go at each other, and uh, <clears throat> and uh, you know it's just like a you can argue about that. You can't argue about you know uh, about what the you know right way to raise a child is or something. Yeah, you know, exactly. You, something. Something. Something that's you know that you can actually. So significant last week we talked about almost famous, right? And I was arguing arguing that Penny Lane is over eighteen; that she's nineteen or twenty in the movie. And you argued that that wasn't important, and I agree. That's yeah. not important. It, well, I think what was it's an, left ambiguous. It, I think that's exactly what I was saying. Is that yes. the whole point is that it's ambiguous? Yes, but despite the fact that it's unimportant, I'm still going to argue <laughs> this. <laughs> and <laughs> the character of Penny Lane is based on a real life woman, Penny Lane. Okay. That Cameron Crowe knew. Right. When he was touring with bands. Yeah. So on there, she has a website, a pennylane.com. Okay. And this is part of her bio. As she watched musicians living their dream, she realized that anything was possible. She also knew how seductive the lifestyle could be. So she carefully created a personal timeline. She allowed herself three years, the time between her junior year in high school, 17, until she started college, 20, to live, tour, and get to know musicians. At age 20, Penny Lane walked away, 
got on a plane and flew home to Portland, Oregon. She went back to her real identity and closed the chapter on this amazing and secret part of her life. Mm. So, as we know in the movie, she's already been doing this like right. a year or two. Yeah. Right. She has a history. So if she started at 17, if she did <laughs> age 17, age 18... This is her second or third tour, or her last I tour. I think this is her last, last tour. Because at the end, she goes to Morocco. Yeah. Right. Which she doesn't go to Portland, Oregon, like in yeah. real life. But this is her final year of a three-year thing. Right. She tells him, you're, yeah. you're my last project. Or he's my last yeah. project. So she, she leaves the game at the yeah. end, basically. Yeah. So if that's modeled after the real life Penny Lane, then she's 20 in the movie. <laughs> okay. okay. <laughs> so do you agree with me? <sighs> Not that it's important. Because it's not important. I agree that it's not important. But. <laughs> as far as the movie goes. Okay. You don't have to agree you... with me. You just have to not disagree with me. Uh, I don't disagree with okay, you. Okay, good. Moving on. Moving on. Well, Chris, this uh, this next segment, this won't be of any interest to you. But yeah. um, I'm a big movie person. You know, that's yeah. kind of my thing. Every year I, yeah. I like to see the new movies. So at at the beginning of every month... I like to look back at the previous month of movies right. and just uh, talk a little about the list. You right. know? So these are the movies I saw in May of last, yeah. of this year, May, so. Okay. You know. So, uh, The Amazing Spider-Man 2, saw that, you know, big comic book guy. Yeah. So that was pretty fun, pretty good sequel. Very entertaining, a lot of action. Mm. They killed Gwen Stacy, which, uh, it was true to the comic book, this character. Mm. So... The uh, films like these, they tend to keep the love interest around through three films. So it was kind of a, a, a big move that they did. Mm. Fading Gigolo was good. Written and directed by uh, John Totoro. Right. You know that yeah. guy. So yeah, his, his first movie he directed, you know, and he had Woody Allen first, in it. This is his first job directing. That was his first job directing, yeah. What was the name of it? Fading Gigolo. Oh, I kind of Fading Gigolo. Yeah. yeah. So, uh... It's it's a very Jewish movie. I was kind of surprised about it. It's New York Jewish movie. Well, that's Woody Allen. That's, that's Woody, Woody Allen, Allen, who was a, clearly a big inspiration, you know, for yeah. Totoro to, to do this movie. Um, but overall, Totoro is no Woody Allen. Just couldn't quite get it down. Just a lot of boring bits. Maybe Just that was it, the it struggled. Maybe it was the editors, not the directing. Maybe. But, you know, I'm not blaming just one person. I'm just saying that's, you know, overall... Uh, uh, Totoro was in the movie, or he was... Oh, no, he was in it. He was I... the main character. Oh, okay. He was the main... He was and, the, and he the was fading a... gigolo in question. Okay, and he was also the director. And also the director. Okay. And the writer. And the writer. Oh, okay. Yes. Okay. Yes. So, okay. you know, had its so, moments. Yeah, so he would be a responsible responsibility. And then that movie had Sofia Vergara in it. And then I saw Chef, which also had Sofia Vergara in it. Chef was the best movie I saw last month. It's the John Favreau who did Swingers. Kind of goes back to his indie roots here. And he writes and directs and stars in this movie about a chef who gets fired from like a big four-star restaurant. And then he buys a, uh, a taco truck, you know. Not for tacos, but for Cuban food, and drives across country from Florida to LA. This taco yeah. truck, and it's a heartwarming tale, and it's filled with a great cast and some great dialogue, and works very well. 
Uh, Son of Batman was an animated movie, a DC uh, Comics animated movie. It was pretty solid. Some good stuff. I always watch those when these come out. The new Godzilla was a very, very good movie. Much better than the 90s Godzilla, I must say. So, first 20 minutes of it, though, pretty unnecessary. It's with Brian Cranston as his character, and he gets killed off within the first 20 minutes, but you see his whole backstory, and you see his wife get killed off, and his sort of tragic backstory that doesn't really serve the plot later on, you know. It's like, we want to see monsters fight, let's just get to that. Right. You know what I'm saying? So, Paulo Alto was, um, so, you know, the, the Coppola family. So, Gia Coppola is the granddaughter of Francis Ford Coppola, mm -hmm. you know, so she has some famous relatives. So this yeah. is her first movie she's directing, Palo Alto, mm -hmm. based on a book by James Franco, which is where he grew up hmm. in Palo Alto. So he kind of has these stories. So she wrote and directed this movie. And, ooh, it's a tough one. It's, what's what's it's, it about? It's very, it's about just a bunch of teenagers and high schoolers. Okay. And it's very moody. It's very kind of avant-garde. Um, you know, just teenagers with problems and who are just really into drugs and partying and just really depressed and emo, which normally I go for that kind of thing. Right. I, you know, I don't, you know, normally I'm sold on that, but, um, it, it just didn't, it was very stylized and moody. So it was like, but not great writing, mm. not, not a good enough story. Mm. Um, it's. I think it's one of those you love it or hate it sort of movies. Yeah, you didn't. You didn't connect with it. I did not connect with you it. Expected to, and you didn't. Yes, I was looking forward to it. And uh, X Men: Days of Future Past. I really enjoyed. I'm a big X Men fan. Have been all my life. That's uh, the reason I got an interest in comic books was because of X Men. Hmm. That was kind of my gateway into it. X Men: The Gateway Drug. Are you a mutant? Um, mutants do not exist, so no. That you know of. I'm not a mutant. You know, I mean, I guess there's people who can, like, eat a bicycle. You know, you, you always see that on some kind of weird show. A guy's, yeah, like, yeah. eating a chain of a bicycle and something. Yeah. So that's sort of a mutant power. I don't know. People do weird things out there. Yeah. People who swallow swords. Like, how do you do that? I don't know. You don't know. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. But, you know, people do weird stuff. Well, people, no, but I, I believe that there's, there's mutants. They're subtle. Very subtle mutations. mutations. Yeah, we have people. Yeah. you know, you get people with extra fingers or yeah, or stuff. What's the dental bill for the guy who's eating a bicycle? You know, <laughs> I don't, I don't know. That's pretty. <laughs> you know, and then lastly, a million ways to die in the West, the new Seth MacFarlane movie. Right. It was good. Money? It's making some money. It's good. It could have been better. It just seemed like there were a lot of trailers out for it. It just looked like something that like, you see the billboards and everything everywhere. Yeah. Everybody's on the talk shows. They're all doing the shows. They really pushed it because um, his last movie, Ted, was such a surprise hit mm. and made a lot of money for right. a rated R comedy. Right. And now he, you know, he had his pick of studios to give him a ton of money to do yeah. whatever he wanted to do. Right. And he tried to do Blazing Saddles, but just couldn't. But had its moments. Yeah. The main problem is that they overplayed every joke and repeated every joke. Mm. So there's an ongoing joke about how people never smile in photos because it takes like 30 seconds to take a photo. Right. 
and but then there's this one guy in Texas who did smile on a photo, but he wasn't a crazy person. <laughs> and so they eventually tracked down the photo, you know. <laughs> but, <clears throat> the trailers looked like it was going to be really good. There was a bunch of really good gags in the trailers. Was that, was yeah. that everything in the movie? Those were the best gags, you know. <laughs> so they didn't save anything yes. for you. In the- I mean, it's a very crude movie, so mm-hmm. there's some, you know, good rated R stuff that was yeah. left down. Mm-hmm. Okay, so um, this part you will like more. Chris, um, Twitter, I'm a big Twitter fan. Twitter is my, uh... Are the, you a twit? Am I a twit? I'm, I'm a twit and a twat. Yeah. And, uh, so Twitter, this last year I've really gotten into Twitter. I tweet a lot, and it's just, um, it's only 180 characters that, that you're tweeting. So it's yeah. a short, it's like a sentence or two. Yeah. Right. That, it's not like Facebook where you can write a long thing. So I... You know, I like to write quotes. If I hear a quote, I'll, I'll tweet it or I'll, yeah. I'll write something. So, since I just turned 26, God help me. Help my miserable soul. I am kind of uh, want to look over this past year through some stuff I wanna, wrote on Twitter. Okay? All right. <laughs> All right. <laughs> We're going to get a bunch of, bunch of your sound bites from over the years. You sound less than enthused. No, but this, this is where I want your commentary on these quotes. Okay. You know, I want yeah. your commentary. So, you know, pretend like you're interested. <laughs> There's no context for these, though. I'm concerned. Well, whatever. I like the quote. Let's... Okay. I'm a fan of context. Well, we, we just watched Almost Famous, too, so I, I just love... This is the circus. Everybody's trying not to go home. <laughs> Russell Hammond. Just love that quote. Yeah. Okay, good comments. Moving on. Batman says, You can't fight crime by becoming a criminal. You can't fight crime by becoming a criminal. Yes. Specifically, this referred to murdering someone. He has a new sidekick right. that, that's on a, a vengeful mission. Uh, for revenge and wants to kill the guys but he says you can't do that because then you're going to become a criminal you're going to become the very person you're trying to fight oh okay I'm not sure that I agree but go ahead okay moving on less than inspiring feel free to be funny at any moment here (laughs) that would be great (laughs) oh man where's your comments okay here was uh, one by, uh, it was from the Sherlock Holmes uh, show. You're not haunted by the war, you miss it. It was a good one. The, uh, yeah. Watson on that show, he he has, um, he hunch, he, he, he limps. There we go, right. that's the word I'm looking for. He limps, he has a cane. Right, right. And after the first episode, he loses the cane, because yeah. it was all, like, mental. Ah. That he thought he was, like, it's injured. Like yeah. <laughs> and then the... The guy's like, you don't need a cane. Or, no, he, he intentionally, Sherlock, he uh, he leaves the cane hanging up somewhere. Then he calls the guy outside, like, oh, I need right. your help right now. And the guy runs out there. Without his and, cane. And does this whole, he's chasing this car on foot. Right. And he's completely fine without the cane. Right, right. You know? Right. So. But uh, I think there's a principle there that people who, you know, you've seen these. There's this great movie, uh, old movie called The Best Years of Our Lives. 
Yeah, yeah. from the forties. That's people returning from war, and they're just so damn bored. Right. They're just the hardest part about adjusting to real life is just the excitement is gone. Right. Well, Everything. you had all this adrenaline constantly pumping because your life was always in danger. Yeah. And and you miss you know you you don't you don't miss the violence and everything like that but you miss that adrenaline in your body, that's what inspired they they say that that's what inspired uh, the original bikers. It was the guys coming home from from World War Two. Oh, okay. And they they they'd been in the war they'd been fighting the war for you know for years out in the trenches and they didn't have like the greasers. Yeah. Is that what you're saying? Well okay. the well they were bikers. Yeah. But they came back from uh, from World War Two. Are those different than greasers? Like yeah, the outsiders. Bike, you know. yeah. Uh, greasers may or may not ride motorcycles. Okay. Greasers, greasers are greasers are guys that are you know sort of dirty. They wear a lot of grease in their hair. They wear yeah. leather jackets. But bikers, bikers are guys that guys that live on the road. And they run in packs generally. But you know they're attached to their their. Their bikes. They want to be out riding on the road. They want to be doing dangerous stuff, and and that's what that's where the original the bikers came from in the fifties, and you had these situations where these guys had you know guys coming back from World War Two, and some of them adjusted fine, and, and other guys they just needed that rush all the time. They'd seen enough combat or something like that. And they needed something to keep them from thinking about these bad memories or, or whatever it was, and they wanted that rush of adrenaline, and so they got motorcycles and they motorcycles and they you know, ride cross country all the time or, you know, live on the open road and, and and this kind of thing. And so that's where you saw your first bikers. <laughs> and this was later on. Like that's these just, guys. No, not like these guys. Now what you're talking about is the hippies and stuff that came along in the <laughs> 60s. These were the choppers and stuff. These were more their kids. I'm talking about the wild ones. There was a movie, movie with Marlon Brando in the fifties called The Wild Ones, and it was about about a gang of bikers. Oh, I haven't and seen that one yet. No, this is a classic. This is your classic one. Mm. And this might be one, but the the idea was that this gang of bikers came in and took over the small town. So you'd have a okay. you have a gang of bikers, and the bikers were dangerous because they were sort of these guys that didn't have anything to lose. So when you confronted him or something like that, you know, a, a typical citizen or something, he has a job, he might have, you know, has a family, has a house, you know, he's got some possessions, he's got, you know, he's got stuff invested, but a biker just has himself and the bike and the he's road. He's kind of a drifter. He's, he's a right. drifter. He, he, he's not through. A, he, he just enjoys confrontation and fights. He's just, he's an adrenaline junkie and he just lives to get radical. And uh, if I can borrow from Point Brink. Mm-hmm. Uh, the movie, but he's he's like a character like that, you know. He's not above not above some crime or whatever. Not necessarily a criminal, but he 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 just he's a he's he's got issues, you know. Been through he's been through some stuff, but he's he's not a uh, he's not afraid to fight. He just needs that adrenaline pumping through him all the time, and so and that's where bikers and hot rodders and these guys guys in the fifties. to get to that moment. There you go. I haven't seen Easy Rider in a long time. Yeah. Well, those were the bikers that you saw in the leather jackets. These were the bomber jackets that the guys wore in World War II, the fighter pilots and stuff like that. Ah, yes. The poor man equivalent would be the people who hop on trains and kind of... 
the hobos, the hobos. And the bums, <laughs> stuff like yeah. that. Well, that would that happened during the Depression in the twenties and thirties. But like a hobo by choice. Yeah. Well, these. Yeah. Like I said, these guys were bikers. They Not were... the way we think of homeless people today, who are crazy. Yeah. yeah. No, but that was a, that was an issue for a lot of the veterans coming back from war. They like didn't, a Gulliver's Travels. They didn't have. Uh, this was before they had diagnosed any kind of PTSD or something like that. But they were probably suffering from a lot of the similar issues. I, I think in Vietnam in the later wars, it was a little different than World War Two. In Vietnam, and what was different in Vietnam was these guys were flown into combat on choppers. And they were they would be dropped into locations, and so they were constantly surrounded by the enemy and on the threat of if you you know if you saw Hamburger Hill or Platoon, these guys were facing constantly every day. They were always, you know, they were always in the war zone. They were always fighting. I think in World War Two, there were you had actual enemy lines, and uh, you didn't. Ha- I don't. I doubt that you had the battles quite as often, and, and your enemy was sneaking up on you quite as badly as it, as it was in Vietnam. Uh, because in Vietnam they were transporting everybody by choppers all the time, and in World War II a lot of it was on foot, uh, and they had more. Uh, for most of the soldiers, there were these sort of uh, battle battle lines uh, that were being drawn. So you probably weren't uh, you weren't fighting in, in jungles as much. I don't I don't know, but it's, if it was if PTSD and the uh, the difficulties that you had after coming home from the war were more severe for the Vietnam veterans. It was probably because the living conditions were were uh, much more uncertain. There's something happening here. Here go. Yeah, now Vietnam. Now we're in Vietnam. Yeah, now we're in Vietnam. Ooh. But certainly after World War II, the veterans came back had issues, and so this is the kind of stuff I got to beware. All right, that's enough rabbit trill. It's not cake hash without songs from my youth. It's <laughs> not songs from your youth. Songs from your no. grandfather's youth. I always associate this song with Vietnam. I don't even know if it's true. Uh, yeah, it was a Vietnam era song. It was, it was okay. yeah. You see it in the movies about Vietnam all the time. Stop, children! What's that sound? Alright, well, you brought up Vietnam, trying to depress I everyone. I did. I, well, I, bring it down. I brought up the bikers and the yes. sort of adrenaline issue. You know what I think? I think you're not adrenaline haunted by bikers. the war, you miss it. That's right. <laughs> this is what you're talking about. And I think, metaphorically speaking, we all miss the war. We all look back to a more exciting time in our lives that uh-huh. we miss. Uh-huh. We're, we're warring against something, uh-huh. you know. Some kind of They say in The Godfather, kind of war against it. You know, <laughs> war, that's, war. That's the advice from the Godfather. War against it or we're war against it. War against <laughs> war against it. Fight against it. War, war. W a r or w o r e. Yes, like, view war. The w a r. That's what they say. <laughs> Not like a fashion trend that they're bucking. Yes. <laughs> view. You have to view life as a war. You know. Yeah. That's what I think. Okay. So, you can agree or disagree. Okay. Warring against it. Yeah. You know. So. You were talking about the Sherlock Holmes movie and and the guy with the psychosomatic illness with the crutch. You leave this house now! No one can tell us where <laughs> You can just forget about coming back. 
heck is this? <laughs> Everything I learned about life, I learned from Pat Benatar. That's great. Okay, love is a battlefield, Chris. All right, moving on. Um, this quote, my desire to be an observer of life was actually keeping me from living one. Annie Brodick. I don't know where I heard this. I forgot. I think it was some TV show. I forget exactly where. What is it? Read that again. My desire to be an observer of life was actually keeping me from living one. So, this is a woman who's writing Uh. about other people's lives that Uh. are more interesting than her life. Uh. A chronicler of life. Uh. So, not that you give a shit. (laughs) Alright. Let's see here. Esquire mag. I love Esquire magazine. Alright. It's a cool magazine. Is it? Yes. Esquire tells us, Chris, women are much more interesting than men. They are of the moment, and they seem to define themselves by something entirely intangible. Chris. That's actually part of a much larger quote. Mm. Which I'd like to read. Women are much more interesting than men? Yes. In general? That's that's the basis. He explains why. Talk about something while I find the quote, Chris. Entertain yourself. I, I don't know. I, I'm not sure how they... All right, here's the full quote. Okay, here's the full quote. Right. And you can then agree or disagree. Like you do. Women are much more interesting than men. And why is that? Women are so much more of the moment than men are. Men have to do something to be understood... There's an inherent desire to be understood as a man, to define oneself by an action or something tangible. The base desire to prove to other men who you are. Women, to men, anyway, seem to define themselves in our eyes by something entirely intangible. Looking back on any given relationship, I can give you a hundred small moments. It's these moments that you end up remembering in in much more vivid detail. I have no idea what the heck he's talking about. He's okay. We're, uh, <clears throat> is there a context? You don't understand this? women at all, Chris. <laughs> well, I, I don't pretend to, but okay. that's been established. We, we don't have a cultural context here. I, I'm not sure if he's speaking about American women or American about women, women. The world or about women within a certain yeah, it's city. American magazine. <clears throat> he's he's probably thinking of some specific community of people that I'm not familiar with. I I don't know. Useless. <laughs> Find it hard to believe that there's not that there's. Not I guess it's like men are interesting because of their accomplishments yeah. and what they've done or what they have, yeah. and women are just interesting in a just by themselves. Just in the just in the yes, abstract, maybe just in, they're as as, as someone of beauty who is nice to look at. I don't know. Just, just maybe the mannerisms of a woman, and maybe the way she carries herself and how she does things. Without doing anything, she's interesting. Yes. He's probably just describing lust, basically. It's like <laughs> this woman's so beautiful; she can be doing anything, and I'll find it interesting. interesting. I'm so hypnotized by her. <laughs> Perhaps he's talking about the women in Playboy. I don't yeah. know. Okay. <laughs> no hope. I, I just. I can't imagine. I, I have. I, I don't know what they're talking about there. This quote was from a, a Seth Rogen movie okay. called Observe and Report. All right. He says, The world has no use for another scared man. Okay, so that was a powerful quote. 
really hit me to the core. Okay. All right, this was from a, a movie called Adult World. This is a John Cusack's character says this quote. Love. Love until you hate. Then learn to hate your love. Then forgive your hate for loving it. The hell does that mean, Chris? <laughs> well, let's find out what that means. <laughs> Chris, name something you love. Anything. Uh, I'm not very good at love. Soccer? Okay. So let's say you love soccer. All right. Love soccer. Love it until you hate it. Until I hate it. What does that mean? That means you dust yourself he's talking in it. about... The process, the the cycle of life, is mm. a passion will burn hot, right. and then it'll cool off to the point where you hate it and want nothing to do with it, uh, and then you come back <clears throat> around to sort of liken it again. And I, I always and associate this. love with sacrifice. When you love something, you you give to it. Why the you hell invest would you in it? Know? You invest in it. You love somebody, and you you're concerned with them with but pleasing can you them with investing the sacrifice? in them. Yeah, you, you when it's not in, delivering when it's like not it returned, used to. Yeah, if, yeah. It's not, if it's not returned eventually, well, that's what he's saying here. Is you just keep investing in it, you keep loving, you keep sacrificing for it, you keep giving to it, to, to it or that person, uh, until you resent, resent that object of love. At some point, soccer has to hit diminishing returns. <laughs> yes, word. Like, you know, I hate this. I used, to, been, been, I used to love it. Now I hate it. Yeah, sure, now sure. I'm just you're burnt out. You That's love, the best if phrase. You love playing soccer, and so you train for it, and you drill for it, and you go to the gym, and you eat, and you diet, and you, every aspect of your life is is uh, directed yes. towards improving your soccer game, and then you get to the point where you're injured, or you you know you're you're frustrated by your lack of success in it or something like that, and you get to the point where you just yes. hate it because that's your whole life and that's all you have and it's it's not as rewarding as it was. And, and then you learn then learn to hate your love. Yes, then then you hate yourself for loving it. For being too... Old. Like, I can't believe I love soccer that much, that I, I was obsessed with it. I can't believe I put so much into it. You hate your love. Sure. And, and then, then you, you forgive your hate for loving it. Forgive your hate. Yeah, because then you come around saying, you know what... That was sort of strong when I said I hated soccer more than life itself, and I wished I hadn't been born and never yeah. played soccer. Yeah. Then you know, it's it's all about overcorrecting and overreacting. And, okay. And then you. Why didn't you just say that? Then you have to you overcorrect can, with look, an this overcorrection. Was, this was a lot of words. This is poetic. That's why. No. This it, guy in the movie, he's a writer. You know, he's, he's like this poetry. Brevity is a soul of wit. You could have just said instead of love. Love until you hate, then learn to hate your love, then forgive your hate for loving it. And all he had to say was, it's all about overcorrecting. It is. <laughs> Story of my life. Love is all about overcorrecting. Over it's all about overcorrecting your love, your passion. <laughs> <clears throat> all right. Well, it, it fit the character. All right. I think the, we. I think we might have gotten out all. All that we could out of that one already. All right, there's a uh, so the next one is from this HBO show. Um, um, fuck, what's it? Uh, True Detective, great okay. show. True Detective. If you yeah, haven't seen it, I recommend it. It's a great show. It's right up there with Breaking Bad. Oh, just a phenomenal show. That. So this Rust Cole says, "Life's barely long enough to get good at one thing. Just be careful what you get good at." Ah, so it was a cool quote. So, yeah, but the time, but. It, until you get good at it, you really don't know if it's something you want to be good at. Yeah, that's... It's the, too late. Yeah. It's too late. That's... So, I gotta find that one thing that I want to be good at. Yeah. 
that. So, and then hopefully that thing won't be like obsolete by the time. Like, you really got to program in a certain computer. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, oh, irrelevant. But, well, that's the thing. I'm about... really good at fixing VCRs, Chris, but <laughs> it's not very useful. That's, that's really that's really just the nature of life. You just got to invest in something until it's. Uh, <clears throat> keep investing in something until you're good at it, and it's not until then that you'll know if that was worth it. This uh, this woman, uh, this actress, Heather Page uh, Cohen, who I, I met once, she said, there's something absolutely irresistible about a man who's 35 to 45. Yeah. I have to wait another nine years? <laughs> if you what? Want, if you Before I'm in my prime? <laughs> How old was she? She, she said that? She's, she's like... 23 or 4 or something. Yeah. Or she's like mine. She's, she's probably, I think she's like like 24 or 25. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's Probably classic. with major daddy issues. It, it's classic for women, for Based women on in their early course. 20s to be interested in men that are older because they're formed. You know, they settle down. You know, young guys, they just keep, you know, they tend yeah. to rove. The grass is always greener when you're a young man. You're whatever girl you're with. You know, you always feel like you could... What do these guys who are 35 to 45 have that I don't have, Chris? <laughs> Experience. Oh, that's true. <laughs> they're a little mature. They're... they're Fair enough. I, I think maybe so. the thing more than anything is is that they've... They... Uh, they've been around. They've already had had a little bit of experience. They've seen a bunch of women, so they're more likely to to stay with a woman longer relationship will last a little longer maybe they have more tools more more you know and they re- and they re- like you said they remind the women of their father more at yes. that age so experience you say so women sort of wealth stability women kind of they want a guy yeah who sort of dated 20 women and has gotten the dating out of his There's, system a little bit has gone through that phase of I'm dating for fun and it's superficial or it's surfacey or whatever. I don't know. You, you, you're generalizing. You, she's not speaking on behalf of all women. I mean, no yeah, one no speaks shit. on behalf of all women. I'm not saying she is. <laughs> but the, trying to apply the principle. definitely a trend. You're more likely to find women that want older guys than, than men in their early 20s that want older women. Yeah, she can't be the only one who feels <laughs> like this. You were a guy who wanted an older woman yeah. when you were in your 20s. Yeah. Man. No, I just found I don't I don't think that I especially wanted an older woman, but it was just the older women had more more than the younger more women. Active sex drives. <laughs> they're more comfortable they with themselves. I appreciate sexually they're more comfortable. I appreciated with qualities themselves. I appreciated qualities that were more common in older women than in women my own age, yes. Yes, this uh Anne says, No matter how strong of a person you are, there's always someone who can make you weak. Isn't this just the depressing day on Twitter? Well, that's called love. And there's always someone who can make you weak. Well, that's good. That's what love is when you fall in love. Yes. You can't win. That's what I'm saying. There's that old quote that uh, De Niro wants to be Pacino and Pacino wants to be De Niro. <laughs> like, even when you've reached the top of your game right. of, like, the best in your field successful. Yeah. You you look at someone else on your level that you aspire that you to want. be. You know, there's a. That's a good thing. That's the nature of life. Is you always uh, you have to have that next mountain to climb. You know yeah, that that grass. next thing you're going after. No, always, not the grass is always greener. That's not, not what I'm saying. That does not place. apply. It does. That's I'm exactly talking about having a mountain to climb. Yeah. Having your next 
triumph, your next thing you want to accomplish, right. you know. That's when you get bored and die, is when, you know, Alexander reached the end of the known world and he wept because yeah. there was nothing left to conquer. Yeah. That's why. Yeah. So, but lucky for me and my, um, you know, unaccomplished... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> like, I have plenty to conquer. You're saving yourself some room there. So, I won't be at gonna, that stage for a long time. You're making an active well, campaign like, to avoid Alexander's dilemma. Woe is me! There's nothing left to conquer! You're pacing yourself. Exactly. You don't want that. Yes. Yeah, so I'm having... If I keep stay on this mountain for long enough, <laughs> I don't have to look for the second mountain. The second mountain, you right. Know? Well, I'm, I'm with you there. If there's always... If no matter what you accomplish, you're always looking to accomplish something else. Then you really don't need to accomplish anything. You can just always you're gonna have that have that <laughs> frustration. The one accomplishment. Of, have that you're gonna have, no matter what you do, you're gonna have that frustration of wanting to, wanting something more. Yes. So why don't I just quit now? <laughs> I'll do that one accomplishment and just ride the coattails of that accomplishment until I die. It's <laughs> a lot that's of coattails. Yeah, just keep like. Remember when I did that thing? <laughs> Yeah. Well, I walked when I was like one year old. Still riding that one. Got that gold star for all those words I could spell with the letter E. Remember when got I got that, that award up here? When I got that degree, you're like, yeah, that's not impressive anymore. You're forty. What else? When are you gonna do something with? Yeah, the <laughs> the Wolf of Wall Street, Chris, yeah. was okay. a movie that came out last year. Wolf oh, of yeah, Wall Street. Yeah. So Leo DiCaprio plays yeah. this character. He says, yeah. "There's no nobility in poverty. I've been a poor man and I've been a rich man, and I choose rich every fucking time." <laughs> <laughs> That's a great movie about the eighties and nineties. Yeah, Chris, and it echoes, of course, Oliver Stone's Wall Street. Right, right. Where Gordon Gecko says. There's no nobility in poverty anymore. Right. He echoes that, but then Jordan Belfort goes on to say, I've been poor and I've been rich, and I choose rich. Now well, that I've been working this full-time job, but then, I've, I haven't been rich yet, but I've yeah. been poor and I've been not poor, <laughs> and I choose not poor. <laughs> I think not poor is better than poor, if I had to choose. All right. Adam Sandler tells us in Mr. Deeds, he says, being rich and powerful isn't a bad thing. That's what he tells us. Mm. So I know that someone who's uh, off the left deep end like yourself has Mm. a problem with with that quote, who uh, likes to villainize the wealthy and and the rich one percenters of America out there. But but Mr. Deeds would beg to differ. He says being rich and powerful isn't a bad thing. In itself. It's just problematic. Right. (laughs) <laughs> it ain't a bad thing. It's not, it's not a bad thing. It just—it's amoral. It's—it's it's problematic. It just—it tends to corrupt people. Yes. So, uh, D. O'Neill says violence is a narrative tool that becomes useless if it's overworked. Chris. Violence. I believe that's an Esquire quote. This guy was writing. Is, say that again. Violence. Violence is, is a narrative tool. Narrative. Narrative tool that becomes useless if it's overworked. 
He was writing about film, I believe. Okay, you know, so violence in the movies. Yes, so we're he's about, he's violence in the movies. He's we're not talking about starting a war, right? Or mugging somebody. violence in the movie. We're talking about telling stories. Violence, okay. So he's fine with violence in movies. Yeah, but there has to be purpose for the violence. It's a narrative tool. It has to be pushing the plot forward. So a reason for the violence, not just violence for the sake of violence, Chris, but as a narrative tool. I think the I think the three studios would disagree. Yes, probably. <laughs> probably. Okay. Let's see. Harold Ramis, you know, ah. he he passed away not yeah, so long ago. He was a, a a great writer director of many classic eighties films. You know, right. Ghostbusters. Right. Caddyshack. Right. Meatballs. Right. Yeah. Groundhog Day. Yeah. Uh, the the uh, stripes, stripes, right? Stripes, right. I was thinking, right? Yes, if Bill Murray was in it, chances are Harold had a hand in writing it. Yeah, just a great sort of straight man, mostly. Yes, in the uh, acting, but yeah, but writer, director. So he gives us some advice about writing. Okay. He says, first and foremost, you have to make the movie for yourself. That's what he was. His own audience. Right. You know, this reminds me of Peter Jackson and Chris, who did all those Lord of the Rings movies. Someone once asked Peter Jackson, are you ever worried about the fans? About if the fans will like it? Yeah. And he says, well, I'm the biggest fan I know. Right. So I'm worried about it if I like it. I use myself as the litmus test here, you know. If I like it, I can remove myself enough from it to say, am I entertained by it? Am I engaged by it? Yeah. Do I enjoy it? Yeah. You know. Okay. Um, all right, talk about something. How was your weekend? How was my weekend? Yeah, how was your weekend? Uh, my weekend was excellent. Played yeah? a bunch of volleyball Sunday. Got really, injured, I see. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I love it when I have a good scar or scab Again, or something. Always getting going. injured. Yeah, because people always ask me, how'd you get that? And then I'll say something like I was pulling... Crippled orphans from a flaming bus or something. <laughs> so, <clears throat> no one actually believes that. Yeah, why is that? Do you suppose? Women have a good BS detector, <laughs> I think. Typically. <laughs> but don't I look like somebody that would probably pull crippled orphans from a? Not flaming even wreckage? close. <laughs> Not in the slightest. Not huh. even a little bit. Uh, Lex Luthor right. tells us, Chris. Yeah. Power is a means, not an end. You know. The phrase, uh, it's a means to an end. Right. You know. The point of being powerful is to... Power. Is to, is to get something else that you want. Yeah. It's not, it's not just to be powerful. You have to do something with it. What's the point of having power if you don't do anything? You know. It's like money is a means and not an end. Yeah. If the money's just sitting there in your bank. It's pointless. It's a means to something. You know. Okay. Isn't it, can can you give me a, give me an example of something that would be an ends then? Yeah, if you're if you have power, if you're a person of influence, yeah. then eventually you want to influence people to do something to an end. So, but what's an end? What's an example? Maybe, can you think of anything that's not a means to an yeah, end? That's just an end. I'll tell you, the movie Tom and Huck, right? Yeah. Well, I guess the book. Tom Sawyer, actually. Yeah. Um, but he's painting the fence. Right. So he recruits people by... He's whistling, he's having a good time. Right. 
and people are wondering what's going on, and they start helping him out. And then he says, I'll let you help if you give me a marble or give me a dollar. What are you going to give me to let you help right. me paint this fence? Right. You know, that's how uh, charismatic and charming he is. Yeah. So he had the power of influence. Yeah. You know, with his charisma. But what was the end? That he was, was trying to get to. He wanted the... Eventually, he left. He leaves while a bunch of people are painting this fence. Right. Because he had chores to do or whatever. Yeah, but what was it that he wanted to do? What was he He wanted the fence to get painted. That was his end? That was the end. And he used his power as a means. You know, it's not the best example. No, I think getting the fence painted was just a means to satisfying Aunt Polly. Yeah, that, that, and then satisfying Aunt Polly was the same a, thing. Was just a means to making his life easier, and then making his yeah. life easier is just a means to to being <laughs> so happy. Then he could use his free time to run around and have fun. Yeah, everything is just a means. It's all just a means. Everything's just a means to survival. Yes, death is the only end. Robert Rodriguez, you know, is, yeah, is, oh, is a great filmmaker. Robert. Robert Rodriguez is an awesome filmmaker. He he says, he tells us, he says, hey guys, a lot of money went into making this movie look low budget. <laughs> <laughs> that's excellent. Yeah, that's, that's excellent. <laughs> what was his first movie? His first movie was... Uh, El Mariachi. El Mariachi, and then he followed it up with Desperado. Desperado. And he's had some tremendous talent. Just the... Just very diverse people, I think, working for He had um, Anthony Banderas. Mm-hmm. Did, was Banderas in El Mariachi? Was he the first? I believe did so. Did he have somebody else? Did he, was, he was the one that sort of brought up Banderas and, and brought him into the industry. And I think right? it was made for like eight grand or something. Yeah, it was something ridiculously El, El low. El Mariachi was made for under eight grand. It got him enough attention that he got the budget for yes. for the other movies. Antonio Banderas is not in it. Probably because he would have worked it? for free. It, yeah, he but, made it for seven grand. Yeah, that was the budget. And who were his actors? I mean, no one big. Carlos Gallardo, yeah. you know, probably just like film school friends. I mean, essentially. Right. And then he actually, it was kind of did, a calling card movie, right. saying I can make a movie. This. But is, then when he did, but then when he did, uh, what was the next one? It was Desperado, right? It was Desperado, yeah. And in Desperado, they had Banderas, they had Cheech Marin, they yeah, had um, finally had uh, a, Steve Buscemi, they had. Uh, oh, just all these guys that were great. Yes, yeah, uh, Salma Hayek was that Desperado? Um, just a tremendous. Yeah, it cast. was, and Tarantino and yeah. Cheech Marin and Steve Buscemi. Yeah, and... yeah, Steve Buscemi. Yeah, who was the who was the bad guy that was the Desperado's brother? Just a great, just all these guys. Even the guys that whose names you wouldn't recognize. Yeah, they were Danny Trejo. Yeah. And... Oh, yes, right. There are other. I mean, even there there was like these these big you know these these sort of A and B list guys. But everybody in the movie, even the guys, everybody in the movie, just quality movie, and the soundtrack was tremendous. Just, I just love his work. And they had uh, Tito and Tarantula do a lot of his music, and Rodriguez himself contributes to the soundtrack. He writes some of the songs, and the music is just great. And it's, it's almost, it's it almost, it's it's almost a cartoon. Yeah, it's almost it's like the kind of a, a kind of a movie that that would that. Uh, it's, it's like sometimes it's sort of like the you know the Roadrunner cartoons these really violent cartoons from the seventies and stuff like that of itself, and it's just 
Oh man, this stuff is just great. It is, and that was, I mean, Banderas wasn't even a big name at that time. Right. Or Salma Hayek, so he helped yeah. launch them as yeah. well. Yeah. But he just excellent choice of these actors. He's really great. Danny Danny Trio's been in a bunch of his movies. Steepy Shimmy. And what was the one was after that had uh, uh, Johnny Depp? Yeah, Once Upon a Time in Mexico. Yeah. That was the end of his trilogy. This is huge. Amazing, amazing people that he he's got himself to work with. What was the quote? Was I spent a lot of money making <laughs> to make it look low budget? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> low budget. His, his effects, his effects, and his stuff is just so over the you know over the top. It's just ridiculous. It's just it's sort of glitchy. You see these yeah. giant flames erupt from these guns and these impossible kicks and mechanisms. And I mean, he does these sort of grindhouse movies now, yeah. right? From yeah, yeah. Planet Terror to Machete, then. Yeah. He just loves the you know the seventies exploitation, yeah, low yeah. budget feel to you know these yeah. sorts of things. But he, he it's it's he has like a lot of a lot of the same sort of characters and attitude and mood as Tarantino's movies, but he. His his effects in his in his soundtrack, he just puts this extra kind of a, a style and flair to that make it. It looks like he says it's just exactly like he says. It just looks sort of glitchy and <laughs> <laughs> and hodgy. Like they, I don't know how much money he spends on it, but they just look like they didn't like you know. It was a bunch of high school kids sort of doing his effects. <laughs> And I guess to get that effect without getting somebody killed or something like that is pretty impressive. <laughs> it's kind of a novelty that he's trying to throw back to. Right, right. It's like, how do we actually make this look like 7000 bucks? Just this tongue-in-cheek kind of almost still paying everyone. <laughs> jackass quality of... <laughs> Of effects in this movie, with this, you know, but the but the drama and the characters, you know, the, is is uh, is enticing. You know, you're sort of locked into who these characters are and these sort of one and two dimensional, you know, characters in these movies. <laughs> but I, I I don't know exactly. It's a complicated way that he gets all the stuff to work together. Here are some more things I tweeted, Chris. Mm. I tweeted this. Men date a lot of psychos for short periods of time. Right. Women date fewer psychos, but for long periods of time. <laughs> <laughs> Not sure who's winning on that one. <laughs> All right. Sadly, I can identify with that. <laughs> <laughs> a lot of psychos in your day. <laughs> yeah, but they're like decks. stepping stones. You just go, you step across them fast yeah. enough, you know, you don't sort of mind that so much. It's just, you get this, yeah. it's like when you're going through the zoo and it's late in the day, you just want to see every exhibit really quick. <laughs> you don't moving. have you don't have time, and you just kind of get a little taste of everyone. You see, oh, there's the monkeys, there's the alligators, there's the hippo, and you just sort of run through it, and you just check them off your list. And uh, but yeah, but I've I've certainly had a lot of friends in these long term relationships, and they don't want to break up with these women, or when they do break up with them, it's just they grieve them and they go on, and they're uh, they're not functional for weeks and months after these relationships end, and they weren't healthy relationships to begin with, and I I <clears throat> I uh, I don't know what these women do in these long term relationships to these guys, <laughs> but it's not right. I'm, I'm glad you had the perspective to know like. These psycho women are a dime a dozen. I I can just leave her and find another psycho woman. There's no no shortage of me finding a psychotic woman. If you date them for a short enough time, there's no real point in avoiding them. (laughs) (laughs) You don't need to avoid them if you're not going to stay with them. (laughs) 
just, I mean, you know, you have to be with them long enough to find out that they're psycho, and then you're done. It's just, don't feel up. I mean, you know, the the the, the trick you got to remember with women is they they get upset because you say you didn't call. Why didn't you call? You know, how come you didn't call? And I've never I always heard that, but okay. Pardon? So I've never experienced that, but I'll take your word for it. No, no, over and over. Haven't you ever seen in the movies how the women are? You know, women are always upset because the guy didn't call them. Well, you said you'd call and you didn't call. I hear that's what happens. That's yes. this is this is the complaint. And then you know, I, I get the girls. You know, the girls would from time to time whenever I accidentally ran into one someplace, and why didn't you call? But I always called. There's I can only think of one instance in. in they wanted you to read dozens and dozens of women and chase them, but they don't say that. But yeah, but yeah, <laughs> she said, "Why didn't you call?" And she she's with her girlfriend and the assault came up to me and confronted me. Why didn't you call? And I did call. I told her I I called her. I, you know, I left a couple of messages, but I called her a half dozen times. A couple of times I left messages. What was the point of calling if I've already left my message and my phone number? Well, I lost your phone number. Yeah, but I called. You lost my phone number. That's a different story, baby. So, yeah. This is, I, I had dinner with this girl. Yeah. Maybe, maybe you can explain this to me. Yeah. And, uh, so, and uh, you know, we went to the BJ's restaurant, and I got a salad. Yeah. Because... The day before, I was driving from Sacramento back, so I, I visited her, and I just I, ha- I ate junk food basically for a whole day. So, so you didn't I'm have like, a I full appetite. S- no, so I wanted something light, healthy. Yeah. No, no, I, w- I was very hungry, but I wanted like a salad, something to process. I had just okay. eaten like f- four meals of fast food like right. the day before and the morning of. Okay. And she was mad that I got the salad. Right. She's like a salad because she got like a burger. Right. Or, or, you know. So if you don't order something massive, then it doesn't give her permission to order anything massive, right? <laughs> so, Is that the story? It was like a cop salad. And then, yeah. so she like remarked about that, yeah. <laughs> like a salad. And then when uh, dessert came around, yeah. I asked her if she wanted dessert. Yeah. And, and she said, I'll just have some of yours. And I didn't want to share a dessert. <laughs> I wanted my own dessert. Right. Oh, right. right. So I should have ordered mine first, and then I've asked her, "Do yeah. you want a dessert?" Uh, but Maybe didn't... giving her permission then to get a dessert. <laughs> yeah. I don't... So she had like half my dessert when the dessert came. Yeah. I'm like, yeah. Men don't want to share desserts. I don't know. Pardon? I don't know about other men. I, I, I could care less. All order order. order... What I should have, if, when she's like that, I should have been like, no, we'll just get two. Right. <laughs> I'll tell get you. two that are slightly different. Yeah, I don't remember, not too many times did I invite a woman out for dinner and actually have dinner with them. Like, You're that good. Pardon? You're that good. I'm that bad. Mad, mad skills. <laughs> I'm that bad. I don't have mad skills. I'll, I'll tell you what, I'll tell you what, I, well, I can do better than that. It's like, that's, the, that's the advantage of dating cougars, is that uh, they'll cook for you. So you, oh. Yeah, well when you're young and you're good enough looking and you get a you get a cougar, that's one of the benefits, you know, you get breakfast in bed or you, How does one land a cougar? <laughs> that's what's going on. <laughs> well that's the beauty of it. When you know what you're doing, you don't land them, they land you. <laughs> they seek you out. Yeah. Yeah. So were you just you, 
you were so mature as a person that you no. wanted to date a cougar. That's <laughs> no. I need a, a mature older woman, someone who can meet me at my level of I maturity. I got passed around from cougar to cougar. <laughs> the one would be through with me. She passed me on to her girlfriend. It was more like that. It you you are the fading gigolo. <laughs> I You're John Turturro like, here. I faded decades ago, buddy. <laughs> I'm just saying. I'm just saying. There's nothing magical about it. Just it sounds better. It sounds better in retrospect when you start talking about these issues that you have, where you're dating women your own age, and you're put in this position of, you know, these little, the smallest things. You. This is this is a girl that you that you. Uh, how many times have you been out with her? Oh, um, just uh, two or three. This wasn't even. This wasn't a girl that you you'd been seeing regularly or anything. No, no. Second, third date or something like that. You take her to a to a decent restaurant, right? You're gonna drop fifty bucks or something by the end of the meal. Oh, we split the meal. Oh, okay. Uh, yeah, we split the check. <laughs> All right. I am very against paying for women's dinner. All right. Well, that's, that's a my own personal issue. baggage. That's a separate issue. I think if I had gone out with a woman, I would have picked. I don't remember ever yes. not picking up the check. But, as uh, soon as the woman suggests yeah. having dinner, yeah. I am off the hook for paying. Yeah, okay. That's my view. Yeah, not me. We She's go. like, oh, we should have dinner. I'm like, sweet! Now I don't have to pay. You said it first. It was your idea. I did not suggest this. And that's why you don't and have And because of your actions, I am not paying for your food. <laughs> okay, I think we know why Caleb's got... This is Caleb's, not a date. Why Caleb's got not in a serious relationship. <laughs> if, it's, one. if I initiate it, and it's my idea, then I'm obligated to pay. <laughs> that's issue number one. There's a hundred... I have to trick her into suggesting Caleb, that we, we grab dinner. Caleb, let me let me just explain it to you this way. In the moment, I've done nothing. In the moment when you're at the restaurant, one of the best things you can do for yourself is make sure that you pay the bill. And there's a hundred different ways you're going to get that money back, or you can, it's going to work out better for you than if you than if you'd been. Uh, than if you'd been petty about this at the meal, is uh, you're just your classic case of of penny wise and pound foolish. In that time that you're that you're at the restaurant, you you envision yourself that you've that you've gotten out of that you've saved yourself some money somehow, and I guarantee you, I have. you have you have not benefited your case. The cheapest thing that you could ever do is buy the woman's meal. <laughs> To be fair, I was not working at the time. <laughs> I was pretty broke. All right. So, I would much uh, be more... I would more... Uh, I'm more likely to do that now. Let's say that. Okay. Now that I have some expendable income. All right. Chris. But, no, I do. If the Okay, if the woman has a boyfriend, I definitely don't have to pay. We can at least agree on that What are you line. doing going out with women that have boyfriends? <laughs> I mean, I know what I'm doing when I go out with a woman that has a boyfriend. <laughs> what I'm saying is, what are you doing? What are you doing? Well, you know. <laughs> if she's a female friend. <laughs> Caleb is not a womanizer. Caleb is a gentleman. A professional. Ostensibly. Interest. And Caleb, Caleb is a good boy. Caleb, <laughs> Caleb doesn't do one night stands. You are hurting my <laughs> reputation here. No. <laughs> Okay. This is all you have is just this one bit of credibility towards women. Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, Chris. Yeah. Have you heard of him? Have you heard <laughs> of this him. guy? Yeah, Lou Alcindor. He, he's, okay. he's, a, he's an actor. He was in Airplane. The actor. <laughs> <He's> a... <laughs> actor. <laughs> Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, the actor. <laughs> actor. 
He was in a game of death, right? Uh, Enter the dragon, I mean. Enter the dragon. You're killing me, buddy. He's a Laker. He's famous (laughs) as a basketball star. A major player for the Lakers. I know more about movies. I'm sorry. Major UCLA basketball player. He's Lou Alcindor. Changed his name to Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. Was a pro basketball player for a year. Yeah, there was okay. He, he was in a couple movies or whatever. He was. Yeah. He was. Is he the one with AIDS? No, that's Magic oh, Johnson. Magic. Oh. oh god, it's getting worse. All right, oh. all right. What was the point? Oh uh, well, up? no. He said he writes for Esquire sometimes. Sure. Kareem, the actor. <laughs> he says, killing me. He says, One main difference between a boy and a man is that boys talk about what they want to do, and men oh. actually do those things. Okay. That's what I've been doing wrong this whole time. It's talking about stuff that you haven't done yet. It's the moment where the rubber meets the road, as they say. All right. Well, I'm glad to hear you're using rubbers. So, <laughs> I don't know advice. why you want them on the road. And probably <laughs> not the best use. Life I advice from actor. Not that it hasn't Lamar. happened to me. Oh, jeez. Um, Chris, following your heart and following your mind. Are not mutually exclusive <laughs> things. <laughs> well, that okay. was said said by somebody that's not familiar with my heart or yes, my mind. Me, that's that's why. <laughs> so, um, Chris, every generation is a me generation. It just manifests itself differently. Okay, we're all a bunch of self-centered assholes. Every generation. That's probably not true. Okay, so <laughs> probably not at all true. That's what I think. All right. It yes. makes you feel better about yourself. It does. That's how I justify. Yes, you know, the great thing about Batman, Chris, the great thing about Batman is that in a world where everyone else is running out, Batman is running in. That's Fireman you're thinking of. <laughs> is that it? Yeah. Oh, that must be it. Chris, don't don't feel sad that you're single. Don't feel bad. <laughs> <laughs> I got a thousand reasons to feel bad about myself. That's not one of them. Don't feel bad, Chris. Because a bad marriage is far worse than the most lonely instance of singleness. That's why. Who said that? James Dobson. You sure it wasn't me? The right. A bad, what did it say that again? A bad marriage is far worse than the most lonely instance of singleness. Yeah, I would have told you that. Yes. You need to go to James Dobson. (laughs) (laughs) But would you have told me that art is the lie that tells the truth? Would you have told me that? Art is the lie that tells the truth? Yes. Would you have told me that a long-term cohabitating relationship may prove to be an obstacle rather than a springboard to many young people's goal of getting married? Would you have told me that? Probably not. Say that again. A long-term cohabitating relationship. Okay. So when two people live together. Right. Long-term. May prove to be an obstacle rather than a springboard uh-huh. for many young people who have the goal of getting married. Yeah. I see that. So. Definitely could see that. Yes. Did you know that... Provided those two people are... Did you know, Chris, that teenagers are not looking for freedom, but meaning in their lives? Yeah. Did you know that? Yeah. I bet you didn't know that shit. Hmm. Right there. It depends on the teenager. Yes. Did you know, Chris, that all great art is born of pain? Did you know that? Uh, Yeah. 
I yeah, didn't know that. I did know that. Almost all great art, but yeah. Well, Chris, you may not know this about me, but I'm a big Katy Perry fan. You know, I love. Yeah. There's nothing I love more than a a large-breasted woman who can sing a pop song full of sexual innuendos and large compared to what? Compared to everyone, <laughs> we're talking D status. That's yeah, not that big. Well, I mean, there's four letters, and she's the last letter, so <laughs> take that what you will. There's more letters than that. Well. Not in regards to cup size. <laughs> You're talking about natural I breasts, mean, maybe. You could have, uh, yes, all natural, Chris. Uh, a large-breasted pop singer who sings about sexual in your windows. An above-average-breasted. And she just, she makes me so happy. Does she? Chris. She is like... I don't think she does. The I'm not looking for a lot of depth. You're looking for Prozac. And my music. <laughs> Chris, I'm looking for how the song makes me feel, and this song makes me feel happy. And that's what I'm about. I just, think it's failing just you. Just surfacey happiness, a void of any real depth that that's, skates the line between like innocent and naughty. It's just naughty enough. Well, but that's what you're looking for. You're certainly going to find that in pop music. Well, thank God for pop music, then, Chris. So. Her recent album, Prism, she uh, has a song on there called Birthday, and we're going to listen to the whole damn song. Do we have time? Do you like it or not? Oh, we're going to make time. This is Katy Perry's birthday, everyone. Surprise, I hope you got a healthy appetite. 
Thank you, Katie, for wishing me a happy birthday. <laughs> really appreciate that. I know you mean it. You make me so happy, Katie. I love you so damn much, Katie. <laughs> yes, I uh, think the uh, uh, bit about the bringing out the big balloons refers to her breasts. If I had to guess, <laughs> I think there's some uh, layers of metaphor. Yeah, some step out of the lunch. <laughs> there's some layered metaphor and symbolism in some of these wearing the birthday suit. The birthday I have no suit. idea why birthday suit means. Naked, I assume, because when we're born, we're naked, is what. So, thank you for that, well, it's not, as, not as shallow as you first thought it might be. Oh. So, keep doing what you're doing there. Good. It's good stuff there. Okay. Well, that's KCAS for this week. I'm Caleb. I'm Chris. Peace out.